As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We desire to keep your righteous rules. So give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. So we ask, Father, that by your spirit you would open your word to us and incline our hearts to follow it forever. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here today. And we've been considering a series through First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And we've come this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to read together the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let us pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, Well, often if you're writing something, especially something that's particularly long, uh, when you get to the end of it, you write, finally. Um, Or if you're a minister preaching a sermon and you get to the end, you say, finally, two or three times before you finish. Um, It signals the end, right? It signals that the end has come, uh, that we're wrapping up what we are going to say. And that's how Paul begins here in chapter 3, finally. Um, He's drawing his letter to a close. And these are important words for drawing that letter to a close, final things that he wants to tell them about. Um, He's concluding and he's beginning that conclusion here uh, with these important verses. And as he's leaving them in this letter, leaving with the second letter now he's written to this relatively young church, um, he wants to leave them with three reminders to take with them. Uh, Three reminders in a lot of ways that will introduce the rest of the instructions he'll give in chapter 3, but three reminders that are very essential for the church that he's writing to in their time and very essential for the church in our time uh, to keep in mind and to pay careful attention to these final reminders that he gives. Um, He wants them for these things for their encouragement, that they would constantly bring these things to mind um, and might continue to reflect on them and to reflect on what the church needs and what they need. Um, so what are, the, what are the three reminders that he wants to leave the church with as he's concluding this letter? Um, well, he wants to share with them causes for concern, causes for confidence, and causes for comfort. Uh, the church always needs to be warned, and for, to be forewarned is to be forearmed in this age. So there are causes for concern that Paul wants to share, but there are also causes for confidence for God's people to express and cause for comfort for God's people to celebrate. And that's how we want to think our way through 
uh, these verses in chapter 3. The cause for concern is the first thing that Paul touches on. Um, And he expresses that concern by way of his prayer request. Uh, We see that in verse 1 when Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Um, In the Greek, the word pray is really in an emphatic position. It's Paul's way of underlining it, putting it in bold, putting it in italics, saying for them, I need you to pray for us. Um, We need your prayers. He's really expressing the intensity of this desire that he earnestly desires that the church would be in prayer for his apostolic work. And he's appealing to these brothers and sisters to continue to pray for him. Um, And we all know that that happens to us from time to time where a Christian will come and say, could you pray for me? I'm struggling with something. I need your prayers. Would you pray for me and and lift these things up to God on my behalf? Um, And we know when someone says that to us that they, they have things that are on their hearts that are on their minds, that they are thinking about, that are first and foremost in their minds, and they're asking us to pray for them. And it's interesting to see Paul do that here for the church, saying, I have things I need you to pray for. Would you pray for me? Um, It's a reminder to us that the Apostle Paul recognized that he was absolutely dependent on God for his help that he needed the gifts of God, that he needed the grace of God to do his work, and that he was absolutely dependent on God. And so before we just sweep past this request and get into what exactly he's asking for in prayer, it's good for us to pause and be reminded that if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, we certainly need prayer. If the Apostle Paul was cognizant of his own limitations his own dependency on God, we certainly should be as well. You know, one commentator said you can have this tendency sometimes to look at great figures of the faith and think they were doing it all on the strength of their own giftedness, Uh, that Paul had intellect and he had wisdom and he had energy to do all these things for the Lord. And so we almost think someone like that would hardly need prayer, right? I mean, he had so much of his own reserves of of resources and strengths, and he clearly is telling the church here, no, I'm absolutely dependent on the Lord for help. I need his gifts. I need his grace to accomplish what I need to accomplish in this world. I need your prayers. And we should be mindful of that as the people of God as well. We are absolutely dependent on God's gifts. We are absolutely dependent on God's grace. We need his help to accomplish anything in the world. And so we must be constant people of prayer for one another. Uh, Paul wants prayer. And what does he want prayer for specifically? What is on his mind as a concern? Uh, Well, he expresses really two prayer requests that he gives to the church. What does he want the church to pray for? He wants them to pray for the progress of the gospel and for their deliverance from wicked, evil, and faithless men. Those are the two things he wants them to pray for, the progress of the gospel and their deliverance from wicked, evil, and faithless men. And even the order of those prayer requests are instructive. Um, If we were being pursued by wicked and evil men, if we were trying to do work and finding constantly there is violent opposition to what we are doing, uh, we might put that request first. Um, pray for my deliverance because I'm really in a dangerous place. Um, I think I would be tempted to put that prayer request first in my letter. But notice Paul doesn't begin there. 
He begins with the progress of the gospel. That's first and foremost on his mind. That's the thing that's of utmost importance to him. The progress of the gospel. And here I think he's just imitating the way the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Um, If we think about that prayer that we pray every Sunday that the Lord has taught us, where does that prayer begin? It begins with the glory of the Father's name. It begins with the work of His kingdom. It begins with His will being done. We are are doing that every time we're taught to pray, to start with the things of the Lord. And that's how Paul talks here. What does he want most of all as as an apostle is for the progress of the gospel, for the good news to go forward, that the good news would speed ahead, he says, and be honored. That's what he wants in terms of the progress of the gospel. I want to see it speed ahead. He may have had in mind Psalm 147, verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And Paul might have been thinking about that Old Testament passage and saying, I want to see the gospel speed ahead to get to the places it needs to get, that it might get out in the world so that the world would see and hear the good news of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to save sinners. I want the gospel to speed ahead. And so he's asking the church, pray for me that the doors would be open, that the gospel progress would not be hindered, so that it can speed ahead where it needs to go. And not only so that it can speed ahead and arrive where it needs to arrive, but that when it gets there, that it will be honored. That the word of God will not just be heard, but will be honored. Right? That's the important request in verse 2, um, or at the end of verse 1. The Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Right? The, the word was honored when it came to the Thessalonians. The Lord directed the word to come to them, and when they heard the word of God, they honored it. That's what Paul wants, for the word to be honored. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul had that sad experience of bringing the gospel to places where it wasn't honored, where it was heard and hated. Many people have the gospel proclaimed in their hearing, but don't honor it as what it is. And that's what Paul is saying to the church. Pray that the gospel would go ahead and be honored, be received the way you received it. We're reminded how they received the word in the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. When they heard the word, they didn't think of it as some outdated, outmoded thing, for former times, like people do in our day, or think that it's something nice, but just not for me, as people do in our day. What did they hear when they heard it? They heard it as what it was, the Word of God, which was at work among them. That's what it means to honor the Word of God, to regard it as the truth, to hear the voice of God speaking in it, and to recognize it as being a Word that works. Uh, That's how the Thessalonian church honored it, as the true word of God that truly works in the church. 
think I heard Sinclair Ferguson say, that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. It's living and active. All you have to do is just let it go, and then it gets down and runs around in the congregation. The job of the preacher is just to let it out so that it goes and runs around. Because it works. It works by the power of God's Spirit. Um, and that's what happened when it came to the Thessalonian church. It worked. It truly worked in the lives of God's people. They saw it as the truth it was. They saw it as the truth they needed to save their lost souls before a holy God. And they saw in it the truth of the good news that there's salvation for sinners, that it's received freely by grace through faith, that all we need to do is embrace Christ by faith and we can live. Trust Him to do what He promised to do, save sinners. That's how the word is honored. It's heard and it's followed. It's recognized as being that true word that has the power to make dead sinners live. It causes us to cling to Christ by faith and to walk in a manner pleasing to Him. Praise God, it's a working word. It's a safety-bringing word. It's a sanctifying word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is praying for. Pray that the gospel would speed ahead to places and that when it gets there, it will be honored as what it is. That it would be received by faith and not hated in the world. Because he knew by bitter experience that the word was hated. And that's why his second request is not just for the progress of the gospel, but for the deliverance from wicked and evil men. Um, They needed deliverance because wherever the gospel goes, the faithful receive it and honor it, uh, but the wicked hate it and seek to stop it. Uh, That was the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ as he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God in the world. That was Paul's experience when he first came to Thessalonica. When he preached the word, when he first came to this area, it caused a riot. Uh, We read about that in Acts 17, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, where Paul was staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Um, It was Paul's past experience that the gospel is hated in places. Paul's writing this letter from Corinth, where he was experiencing the hatred of the gospel by people who failed to honor it. And it's the true experience of the church in every age. We ought to expect that reaction. Um, that there are some wicked and faithless people who will not receive the word of the Lord. And why is that? Paul says it very simply at the end of verse 2. Because not all have faith. The word is always going to be opposed, and those who are servants of the word will always be opposed in the world. And Paul wants them to understand these things, to be in prayer for these things, but Paul doesn't want them to be discouraged. Right? If you pray for these things it, and we're recognizing these causes for concern, it could become a cause for discouragement among God's people. We want the gospel to speed ahead and it doesn't seem to be speeding ahead in the world. Uh, we, we want it to be honored when it comes to people. It doesn't seem to be honored in the world. Sometimes it seems like we're going backwards in terms of it being honored. Um, We might not think we're subject to wicked and evil people in the world, but the church in this world in our time is more persecuted than in any other time in the history of the world. There are more Christian believers who are under the cross in the midst of suffering now than have ever been. And when God's people begin to think about these things, it can be a cause for discouragement. 
uh, to wonder if things are actually going so well for the progress of the gospel and the deliverance of the servants of the Lord. And that's why Paul wants to leave them not just with cause for concern, things to be lifting up in prayer, but causes for confidence. The church should not be despairing in this world. The church should not be discouraged in this world because the church in this world has a king. A king who is powerful. A king who is on his throne. A king who is working. A king who Paul says is faithful. That's where Paul goes to find his confidence most of all in the midst of these things that could be great discouragements to him. That we would be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. It's the great character of our Lord that Paul points us to where we can find confidence. Whatever else is happening in the world, the Lord is faithful. And is there any other better reminder that could come to God's people in the midst of discouragement than to remember that we have a Lord who's faithful. That's where Paul's confidence is firmly rooted. That's where, God, that's where Paul wants God's people's confidence to be firmly rooted in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Paul knows the Lord is faithful, he can be confident in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will do the things that God's people need him to do for them. That the Lord Jesus Christ is dependable to give God's people what they need. And what do God's people need? Uh, We need his support. And we can be confident that we have the support of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, What do we read in verse 3? But the Lord is faithful, he will establish you. The Lord will support you. The Lord will establish you. The word Paul uses here means to cause to become stronger in the sense of firm and unchanging attitude or belief. Jesus will establish you. He will strengthen you. He will cause you to become stronger, more firm, unchanging in your faith and love to him. That's one of Paul's great confidences. The Lord will establish you. He will support you. He will strengthen you in the faith and love you need to meet the world with its challenges. Um, Not only that, He will guard you. Right? There's a sense in which, too, God will guard His people. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. This is the support that the Lord Jesus Christ offers. Not only a strengthening of the faith, but a guarding against the chief of our enemies. Um, against the evil one. He will guard you. Uh, That word too is very comforting because it means he will closely guard you. Uh, This is the word that was used when Peter was chained between two guards. You can't be guarded any more closely than that. To have one guy chained on your right hand and one guy chained on your left hand. Um, That's about as closely as you can be guarded. It's the same word that's used here. The Lord Jesus will closely guard you. It will be like those Secret Service agents who are closely guarding the president. He's right there to help. And so when we fear the enemies, whether it's wicked and evil men or even the evil one himself, what a confident thing to be reminded the Lord is near. 
He's close by guarding you from the evil one. We have a God who is faithful, a king who is faithful, who is supporting his people, who establishes them and guards them, even from the chief instigator and enemy of his people, the evil one. And if he's closely guarding us against our chiefest of enemies, he will certainly guard us against the rest. We have a Lord who's faithful, who supports his people, establishing them and guarding them. And second, Paul says we can have confidence in our king because of his sanctification. That's what he gets to in verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that that we command. We have confidence the Lord will continue to cause you to do the things you're doing and to continue to do them. Paul is speaking with great certainty about the future. That the sanctifying work that Christ is doing in the church will continue. That what he's doing is going on now and will continue to go on. Paul's absolutely confident about that. Um, It's hard for us to be confident about the future. Because by nature the future is uncertain. Um, That's why when we were told, I remember hearing an R.C. Sproul talk where he said, you know, we don't worry about the past. No one has to tell us, don't worry about the past, because the past is gone. We sometimes worry about the consequences of the past, but the past is never what we're worrying about. What we're worrying about is the future. And we worry about the future because it's uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But Paul can speak certainly about what's going to happen to this church in the future. He can say, I'm certain in the future that you'll be sanctified. And how can he have that certainty? Because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is sanctifying his people. And Paul has every confidence that he who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. The Lord will not fail you in the future. He's not expressing confidence in the church. He's expressing confidence in the king of the church. In the work the king of the church is doing in the church. He's a sanctifying savior and he will continue to sanctify you. And I know he'll do that in the future. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God he is now, he will always be for his people. The king he was in past days, he will always be for his people. That same power by which he commanded the sick to be well and the blind to see and the lame to rise and the storms to calm and the dead to come out of the grave, it's that same power that's at work on his people. That does not change. He is who he is today as he was yesterday, as he will be in the future. That's where, that's where Paul's confidence comes from. The Lord is faithful. What you're doing, you will continue to do because what he's doing, he will continue to do. I'm confident in the Lord about you, Paul says. Not confident about you, confident in the Lord about you. That the Lord will do what he's promised to do in your lives. And that should be our great confidence in the world as well. That we have the support of our Savior. Who will establish us, who will guard us. That we have the sanctifying work of our Savior. That He will complete that work that He's finished in us. That's the cause for confidence that God's people should have in the world. Christ is in us and that's the hope of glory. And so Paul also wants to leave them with cause for comfort. Not just confidence to live, but comfort 
in the midst of what they are struggling. Um, he begins by asking them to pray for him, and then he ends here with a prayer for them. And a prayer that should bring them and should bring us immense comfort. Because he prays for things that God has promised in his word to give to his people. Uh, so we don't have to wonder whether these prayers will be answered. We can be sure that these prayers will be answered by our God. Um, and what are the prayers that Paul offers uh, for God's people in verse 5? May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. It's a prayer for divine direction. Um, and I think Paul uses this word intentionally uh, to remind them to, to kind of hearken back to something he'd said earlier in his letters to them. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 11, he said, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Right, so Paul wanted God to direct their way to the Thessalonian church. They, they, Paul had said, we've, we wanted to come back sooner, but we've been hindered. We haven't been able to come back to you. And our prayer is that the Lord would direct our way to you, that he would clear out the obstacles so that we can get there, so that he would direct the way. And Paul returns to that idea now, but not saying that he would direct our way, but that he would direct your heart. And that, that prayer for divine direction is similar to that prayer for that divine destination he wanted to get to. God, clear out the way so I can get there. It's the same thing that he's praying here for the people of God. Lord, clear out the way so their hearts can get where they need to get. Make the way clear. Remove the obstacles so their hearts can get to where they need to be. And where do our hearts need to be as the people of God? Where do we need to get? We need to get to the love of God. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. Almost always in Scripture when it talks about the love of God in the New Testament, that we have a God in heaven who loves us the way a father ought to love his children. And he will not hold back from them any good thing that they need. Paul's prayer is that the Lord Jesus Christ would open the way for their hearts so they would truly understand the love of the Father. Because the more we understand how much God loves us, how much our Father in heaven loves us, the more comforted we will be to know that the Father loves his children. The more we understand how much the, that God loves us, the more that love will be returned to him in our worship. The more we understand the love of God, the more that love will be reflected in the way we live in the world. Um, for the sake of the love the Father has loved us with, to love Him and to love the world. Paul wants them to know the love of God. That blessed comfort we have from knowing that the Father loves us. And Paul wants them not just to be directed to the love of God, but to the steadfastness of Christ. That's also where the hearts of God's people need to be drawn for their comfort, to be reminded of the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. That's a great word, steadfastness. Um, it's that word that talks about that sort of capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. And if there's anyone who was steadfast, it was Jesus Christ. If there's anyone ever who has had the capacity to stand up 
against difficulty, to stand strong in the face of all opposition, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one who's ever stood up to what he's stood up to in terms of difficulty and come off a conqueror. Who else could stand against the world and against the flesh and against the devil and come away from that field the conqueror? To stand at the end of that warfare triumphant. Um, It's the thing that's celebrated in the book of Hebrews. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. May the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. Not just because he was steadfast out there somewhere, but because Christ in his steadfastness now dwells in you. Christ is in us by his spirit. That means his steadfastness is in us by his spirit. And Paul wants us to understand something of the steadfastness that exists In the church of God. Because Christ in his steadfastness exists in the church of God. That's why Jesus can say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because his steadfastness has come to live in the church. That's why empires have come and gone. Philosophies have come and gone. Systems of thought have come and gone, and the church remains. Why? Because of the steadfastness of Christ. It's true for the church. It's true for the people of the church. The steadfastness of Christ rules in your heart. It's the thing we are to imitate. It's the thing we are to trust in. That also is a calling of the book of Hebrews. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And as we seek it, we know we will remain steadfast because the steadfastness of Christ is at work in his people. That's a tremendous comfort to us to know. And Paul wants the church to be reminded of these things. As we face the temptations in the world and the causes for concern that drive us to prayer, we always have to remember our great cause for confidence and comfort, that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. He will support us and sanctify us and direct us to the Father's love and to his steadfastness until he comes again in glory. So finally, brothers and sisters, may he receive all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of prayer that when we have concerns, we can come before you. We again pray for the progress of the gospel, that it might speed ahead and be honored by all who hear it, that your servants would be delivered from wicked and evil men, that we would remember the great causes for confidence we have that the Lord is supporting us, that he will establish and strengthen us and guard us, that he will continue to sanctify us so that we will be like him. 
And help us to continually have our hearts opened by the Lord Jesus Christ to direct them to your great love for us that caused you to send your Son into the world. And also to his steadfastness to suffer and endure all that he did for our sake that he might be our Savior. Help us to meditate on these things for our confidence, our comfort, and to praise your name as the one who's provided our Lord Jesus Christ to us. And hear us, we pray, by his Spirit. Amen.